Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have Cynthia Thurlow. She's a globally recognized expert in nutrition and intermittent fasting, highly sought-after speaker, and CEO and founder of Everyday Wellness Project. She's been a nurse practitioner for 20-plus years, TEDx speaker twice, and host of the Everyday Wellness Podcast, which I was on. That's really incredible as well. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I've really been looking forward to connecting with you again. Well, let's talk about this. I mean, you're you're known for intermittent fasting and nutrition, and, and a lot of people go to you for that. But you and I have had several thyroid conversations, and we'll talk a little bit about that because you've had to do some experimentation there. Mm-hmm. But um, let's just talk about your experience and your journey as a nurse practitioner. So many things have changed over 20 years. Uh, tell us, you know, why you got into it and, and where you are now with it, how, how that has affected your life. Yeah. So, you know, I started off being a total adrenaline junkie. I was an ER nurse. I was in inner city Baltimore. I transitioned seamlessly to cardiology, which is where I, you know, lived for 16 years as an MP. And, you know, over the course of 16 years, you see a lot of different things. You know, I got married, I had two kids. And after the birth of my first child, um, you know, he had terrible debilitating eczema and, you know, I was breastfeeding, I was doing all the right things. And I kept saying to the pediatrician, you know, could it be something I'm eating? And the pediatrician was like, nope, nothing you're doing wrong. Just keep putting these, you know, steroids on his skin. He'll be fine. He'll grow out of it. Well, it didn't happen. And so, you know, as he got, you know, closer to a year, year and a half, I was pregnant with my second and I really pushed for allergy testing. I felt strongly that there was probably something he was allergic to that was driving the really extensive eczema. Here's this happy, thriving kid that has horrendous eczema. And so the long story short is we found out we had life-threatening food allergies and that dove me down a rabbit hole of like being fearful to, you know, have any food outside the house. And I, I said to my husband, we can't live this way. You know, we can't live this way living in fear. And it's, you know, just by my nature, I'm a, I'm a, someone that dives down rabbit holes and wants to learn everything I can about certain topics. And so on that journey of, looking at the relationship between nutrition and health and skin issues and all of that. I read a book called The Unhealthy Truth. Have you read it by Robin O'Brien? No, I haven't. It's a book that I feel like for me personally really changed my life. Um, You know, my son at that point was in school and, you know, we were doing all the avoidance strategies and, you know, as my allergist said, pray, pray and carry an EpiPen and what a way, what a way to live. And then let me, let me, uh... Clarify that. So, like, how extensive and what were the results of the allergy? Like, what, give me a few examples of like things that yeah. were causing the eczema. Um, so, tree nuts and peanuts, and as most people that are listening probably know, uh, anything that's packaged in a facility is exposed very likely to one or both of those, you know, categories of foods, and so. Uh, you know, when you're a child younger, it's easy to kind of shelter them, but going out to restaurants sometimes is a disaster because how many things are cooked in peanut oil or how many things are exposed to, uh, you know, nasty seed oils or there's cross-contamination. And so in my brain, I had taken care of many, many people with life-threatening allergic reactions. And and I kept thinking back to how sick and, and how many people actually died from anaphylaxis. And so for me, it was like my brain was going 
to worst case scenario. Like as my husband said, I went to Mach 10 with my worry and concerns. And so after I read that book, uh, I started to really look very differently at food. And, and even with my patients in the hospital and, and in clinic, started having conversations about lifestyle, the lifestyle piece. And most of my patients kind of looked at me with that blank expression, like no one really talks to me about food. I'm going to eat my breakfast is the most important meal of the day, my heart healthy grains, lots and lots of processed carbs and you know, very little protein. And certainly, gosh, don't eat fats. Those are terrible for you. And so as you know, our, our diets kind of shifted and pivoted in relationship to my son's um, you know, allergy needs and, and just being more aware, it just got me much more interested in the role of nutrition and health. And so I started a doctoral program and that didn't light me up. And then I did a wellness coaching program and I was still feeling kind of meh. And then I found, I stumbled upon a functional nutrition program. And that was the first time that I really thought to myself, if I combine this with my allopathic medicine training, this is going to be powerful. And so I did this functional nutrition program and, uh, you know, the following year, much to my husband's dismay, I, I woke up one morning and said, I'm done. I'm tired of writing prescriptions. I can't do this anymore. I would go to work and I'd tow the party line and I'd mm-hmm. give, you know, write for a lot of, of medications that have a lot of very powerful side effects. And, uh, I was no longer aligned with the, the mindset and the philosophy was that every symptom has a prescription that will fix it because unfortunately a lot of Western medicine has really shifted their focus and we're not looking for root causes. We're just managing symptoms. And as you can imagine, if most of the patients I'm seeing are metabolically inflexible, diabetic, pre-diabetic vasculopaths, which means they've got head to toe vascular disease and blockages. Um, there's a lot that if they could pivot, pivot and shift on the foods that they chose to eat and the way they live their life and the quality of their sleep and the stress management, and more exercise, their lives would be infinitely better, but there was not enough time in the very short appointments I was given with these patients to be able to do that and cover all the other things. So I left clinical medicine five years ago and took this massive leap of faith and uh, started my own business. And what's interesting is despite not having a business plan, nearly instantly, I had women that were drawn to my services and to my message, which at that point was really just, you know, it all starts with food. That's what that's how simple the message was. Um, had a lot of women, late 30s, early 40s, and beyond that just felt like their needs were not being met in the current medical model. And so from there, I designed one-on-one programs and group programs and a podcast. And you know, from there, really, you know, I, I felt like I was feeling very much filling a need that was not being met. And uh, I, I always like to say that. I have great reverence and respect for my peers that are still in the str- in the trenches and you know especially with emergent and urgent medicine I mean there's still needs for it but there's a lot of work that can be done to improve the quality of care that we provide patients in terms of prevention and chronic disease management because if we could get them started earlier cleaning up their diet you know managing their stress getting some light exposure not living like potted plants which is the way that I think a lot of people are living right now, they're um, either they're very sedentary. They eat a lot of highly processed, hyper palatable foods. They don't know any better because they've been following what they've been taught. And I just think that there's growing awareness and growing education. And for that, I'm really grateful. I'm grateful to be part of a movement where we can get people to become much more aware of their options and educate them and empower them. 
Yeah, you know, back to the doctor saying about your son, like, nope, nothing you can do. Just got to take this pill. He'll grow out of it, right? This is just classic and everybody listening needs to know. You know, uh, if you have MS, look up Palmer Kippola. She cured it. Mm-hmm. If you have rheumatoid arthritis, look up Seamus Mullen. He cured it. These people were on medications for years. They would ask their doctor, well, well, shouldn't we test the antibodies? Just to- Nope, they're always going to be there. Sorry, you're just going to be in a wheelchair. I mean, this is the answer. 15-minute insurance doctor. They have nothing but a prescription or surgery for you. They don't have time to sit there. And furthermore, they have no nutritional experience. They're going to say nothing matters. Nope, yeah. can't do anything. Nope, just keep doing what you're doing, right? Yeah. And. That is such a shame. And if that's the message anyone can hear now, don't ever listen to that. And if someone is just going to say, no, we just have to take your organs. No, we just have to give you a pill. You get three different opinions and preferably by functional medicine, uh, practitioners, integrative physicians, et cetera, because they are going to be more likely to know what, what tests and things will follow to help solve your problem. And so, you know, it's just, um, it's such a tragedy that people out there thinking that, you know, being told by doctors, like, nope, nothing else you can do when that's a lie. They just don't know better. And so everyone has to take a look at that when they're asked that. How is your son now? He's doing really well. You know, he is now unbelievably, he's a 15 year old, he's in high school and we still have to be careful about navigating, you know, only 30% of children will outgrow their food allergies. And, and he's part of the majority that don't. And so, uh, you know, the, the allergist still puts the fear of God into me because, you know, she says that, you know, this is the really vulnerable years where they don't want to carry their EpiPen. They do, they think they're invincible. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is probably one of the blessings of COVID that, you know, there are just not as many social interactions. I mean, he is in school. Thankfully, he's back in school four days a week now. Uh, but he's pretty diligent. And uh, if I had to wish a food allergy on anyone, it was it's him because he's very conscientious, whereas my second born is a little bit devil may care, but you know, it's, it's a lifetime of this. And it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, we're seeing escalating rates of food allergies, food sensitivities in children and adults, and, you know, trying to navigate that. And, you know, they, they, you know, children want to want to have normal experiences. They don't want to be told no, you know, it's been navigating, finding cleaner, healthier options for when he wants specific foods. I mean, I'd much rather make something from scratch at home where I know what's in it. If he wants a sweet treat, uh, you know, we know there are safer, cleaner, you know, food manufacturers. There's certainly a lot more options now than there were 15 years ago. You know, 15 years ago, it was this, you know, 15, even 10 years ago, there weren't nearly as many options as there are now. So at least I feel like the the, the food industry is trying to uh, you know, create some opportunities for healthier options, but yeah. And, know, and by like, the way, good time to just, let me give a shout out to the people that sponsor this podcast, which is yes. Primal Kitchen. And, yes. you know, 10 years ago, there wasn't, you'd look at a bottle of Newman's dressing and it would be like olive oil and vinegar and you turn it over and there's freaking soy in there yeah. and, you know, uh, oh yeah, avocado oil, mayo, but then you look at the back and then there's soy or canola. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, Primal Kitchen was on the scene with that. Uh, thanks to Epic Provisions, lots of companies doing really great things, making clean products that are healthy, soy-free, grain-free, et cetera. Um, let's talk a little bit about your personal journey, um, with thyroid, because we were talking about that before the program. I know you've had a little bit of ups and downs and, but you, <laughs> you, you, you learned a lot about it, obviously going through it. Tell, tell us just how that started. How did you, what, what prompted you to go? I think something's not right. 
Yeah, it's a great question. And and to tell you that it all kind of coincided with me leaving clinical medicine, I, I was becoming increasingly disillusioned with uh, the medical model, but then also, uh, you know, moved in, in the year prior to this, we had moved into a new house. We had, we bought and sold two houses in the same day. I never recommend that for anyone. That was exhausting. Wow. That's a record. <laughs> yeah. It was the worst decision ever. I was like, we thought we were being so efficient. I was like, that was the stupidest decision ever. And so the stress of, you know, we had a very ugly closing, this family that we bought this house from uh, really did a lot of unsavory things. And for everyone, we are no longer living in that house. We only lived there for five years, but the long and the short of it was the stress of that combined with um, my husband did a lot of international travel. My kids were fairly young. I had a very demanding job. Um, Even as a part-time nurse practitioner, I had the same call schedule as the full-timers, Uh, And cardiology just generally tends to attract very sick people. And I was probably doing too much exercise, probably not getting enough sleep, probably a little too low carb for my body. And that probably coincided with perimenopause or the start of it. So for me, the clue in was the following year when I like didn't have enough energy to get out of bed. I was like, something's not right. I'm not depressed. I did sleep. I didn't over exercise. And so the rabbit hole that I then went down was, you know, seeing my functional medicine nurse practitioner who I adore. And uh, when they started running labs, it was a litany of things. I had a parasite infection. Um, they did a he- they did a heavy metal screen. My mercury was through the roof. In fact, they were Me so too. Concerned. It's brutal, isn't it? And and I want to ask you specifically about that. So in my experience, this is all I can say about it is I kind of almost can't qualify it other than when I started to detox from the mercury, it was a noticeable difference. Mm-hmm. It was almost like there came a day where I'm like, I kind of think the mercury might be really down. I feel, and I don't even know if I can qualify it, whether it was a state of inflammation or I don't know, how would you describe it? Because obviously it felt off, but it wasn't like normal symptoms of anything. In fact, I maybe would have never known had I taken the test. You know, can you describe what your experience or your before and after feeling on that was? Yeah, well, and I I can give you two before and afters. And so, you know, we went down that rabbit hole of mercury, which I was exposed in utero because I've never had a mercury amalgam and my mom had quite a few. So they think it was just that combined with, you know, when you work in Western medicine, you get a lot of vaccines and they felt like cumulatively plus my genetic predisposition predisposition and epigenetics. They felt like it was just kind of the perfect storm. For me, let me, let me, let me highlight the thing you just said about uh, vaccines. So if people don't know, for example, the flu shot every year has Mm -hmm. thimerosal in it, which is mercury used as a preservative. If you don't want that in your body, which you shouldn't, and they shouldn't even put it in any vaccine, then you have to ask for the one with a non-preservative and you can. Um, I don't get the flu shot. I'm not, you know, but I'm just saying if you were a person that does and you believe in that, make sure you're getting the non-mercury filled mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's interesting, Cynthia, I had to get a bunch of vaccines to go to Africa many years ago. And then it was like the right after, like uh, six months after that, I went through a stressful period and that started my reverse T3 thing. And while I've been a long time sushi eater and, you know, that kind of thing, which could have contributed to it, perhaps, you know, I think sometimes about those vaccines I got and maybe that yeah. just upped it. Yeah. But anyway, I just wanted to highlight that for people. If you're not aware of thimerosal and that's why there are problems with certain traditional vaccines because they have adjuvants and things like that, that can really mess with people. And mm-hmm. so they're not all created equal, but anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. No. And I think it's important. I think for me, it was just, you know, I've got some genetic 
methylation problems. So it was a little bit of my genetics. I think here, yep. with uh, the volume of vaccines that I got over the years, which I, I never kind of questioned until then. Um, you know, a lot of it was fatigue, but it was multiple things. It was my, they felt that my, the mercury level in my body was so high it offset my thyroid receptor. So that was the first kind of clue. They were like, okay, clearly your thyroid's underactive and me being stubborn. Uh, I was like, okay, well I'm amenable to a, a mercury, uh, chelation slash detox protocol, but I don't want thyroid medication yet. And they looked at me like I was crazy and they said, okay, well, yeah, well, okay. So I went through this mercury detox and initially, uh, I was not given some things that would help bind to the mercury. So about a week into the detox process, uh, my, my phase one detoxification in my liver sped up and my phase two came to a screeching halt. And I was so, I don't know how else to describe it. I've never been depressed in my life but I was almost suicidal. Like I, I called my functional medicine group and said, something's really wrong, really, really wrong. And so we stopped everything. And then I went, we went a completely different route to um, address the mercury, which was much more gentle. And we worked on a lot of liver support in the interim. And then six months later, I was like, okay, I'm ready for thyroid medicine. I was like, I can't handle how tired I am. So, so I think the big thing for me that I noticed appreciably when my mercury was high versus low was that I uh, was exhausted, like exhausted, like walking outside exhausted me, doing my daily normal stuff exhausted mm -hmm. me. And then as it got better, I felt like a different person and then add in thyroid medicine and I felt like the Energizer Bunny. And, and I looked at my functional medicine person and said, why exactly did I not start this six months before? <laughs> right. Why well, you know, the interesting thing is like, so that's an interesting thing. So there, there's the philosophy of like, well, hey, let's clean up this stuff first that could have affected the thyroid before we go on thyroid hormone, which absolutely that's a, a, one way to go. Mm -hmm. Had we known what we would know now though, and like you said, maybe getting a thyroid hormone would have helped the process even better. Yeah. Right, the right. detox process even better. It just yep. it depends on where people want to go, how long they've been suffering. So that's interesting. What did you use that was the gentle way to get rid of it? Um, there's a, a product by Quicksilver, and so I kind mm -hmm. of went that route, and I also also did coffee enemas. Okay. Um, and so I was completely did not want to like imagine nurses, nursing, medicine. We give enemas a lot. And all I could think of was there's no way I'm doing this to myself voluntarily. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just got to a point where I was like, oh, I feel good when I do this. Uh, and so, you know, maybe I will stick with this. And so, you know, I, I did that combined with these Quicksilver products, uh, you know, when they retested the hair, the urine and the blood six months later, I was like a different person. And the thought process was at that time is, oh, you know, this might just all be related to the heavy metals and maybe your thyroid will sure. come back online. Well, that never happened. Right. So I have been on thyroid medicine, um, now for almost five years. And, uh, you know, it, I, I think that, um, you know, it, it takes a bit of time for people to figure out what medication works best for them. I'm grateful that I have, the knowledge that I have, because I'm able to kind of articulate uh, much probably faster than a lot of other people can, like, clearly something's not right, like this should not be happening. And, and unfortunately, I think a lot of women in middle age, if they start putting weight on, and they get constipated, and their skin's dry, and they don't sleep well, and their menstrual cycle's a mess, 
people go, oh, welcome to perimenopause. Welcome yeah. to you know those years. And they chalk it up to that. Yep. And there's so many nuances that I think most, if not all women start to develop some degree of, you know, physiologic hypothyroidism. They may not have Hashimoto's, mm-hmm. but I do think that thyroid issues are missed and women, I'm going to say women because women disproportionately are impacted mm-hmm. by hypothyroidism. I think women really suffer in this stage of life. And so I spend a lot of time, as I know you do, educating people like these are the tests you need to ask for. And you just don't take no for an answer. Like these are not unreasonable things to ask for. And so, uh, you know, I, I am forever grateful that my MP recognized that uh, if I didn't get some additional support, I was very likely going to like spiral. And I think that's what happens to a lot of individuals, you know, their, their sex hormones are waxing and waning their thyroid, you know, needs support. Uh, you know, their adrenals are, are over tanked because, you know, the sandwich generation is where it's at. I always say that, you know, our forties are when things start to get interesting because you've got aging parents, you know, if you have children, they're a little older, maybe you're, you're more established in your job, your job responsibilities just go up. Um, you start to care a whole lot less about what people think about you. And you just kind of live your life on your own terms. Mm-hmm. But what also coincides with that time period is, you know, these massive fluctuations and changes in our bodies, you know, we become more prone to physiologic insulin resistance, our thyroid can be underactive, we can develop, you know, what I refer to affectionately as the crime scene periods, all of a sudden, we go from having a regular cycle every month to, you know, we have less progesterone, you know, we have functioning estrogen dominance in the body. And all of a sudden, our, our periods get ridiculously heavy. And if we go to the GYN, Oftentimes what we're offered are like three options, synthetic yeah. hormones, yeah. an ablation, or let's just yank your uterus because you don't need it anymore. I remember I was so offended. It's, it makes me laugh when I think about this. There was one of the times in my early forties when I went to see my, for my annual and my GM was like, oh my God, your period's so heavy. And I was like, well, it did start today. And she's like, well, we can fix that. You know, we can just write for this synthetic birth control. And I said, why would I want to take synthetic hormones at this point in my life? She's like, well, that will control the bleeding. So fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) And again, let's just highlight that. So, oh, you have a symptom. Let's patch it. Let's not look at anything else as to how to maybe correct it or look at back end reasons as to why it happened to begin with. And, you know, it's funny because I was just taught, so I've, uh, I'm, I'm friends with a group of people I've known since I was little. We're all on a text thread. And I know one of them has been on Synthroid for many years. And she looks good. She has a lot of energy. She travels the world. She's doing really well. And um, she texted me yesterday and said, hey, I got my thyroid test back. Do you mind, you know, mind looking at them? Or whatever. I'm like, sure. And I look at them and they are extremely subpar. She's been on Synthroid all these years. And so we're talking. She goes, well, I feel great though. And I go, okay, well, let me ask you, you know, because like, I'm not believing it by looking at the, the tests. And I'm questioning her about all these things. And I go, okay. What about your periods and all that? And she goes, oh, I've been on the pill for years now because I had like all this irregular bleeding where I was bleeding all the time. And I'm like, there you go. That's a sign of a shitty treated thyroid. Like, like again, finding that piece where you're like, uh, you know what I mean? And that happens a lot. So you have to take a look at that. You don't want to just patchwork. And also too, you're going to, especially if you're in perimenopause and or menopause, it's it well if you're in full throes of menopause, yes, you might have to do them all together, meaning you assess thyroid hormone and work with someone on all the other stuff. But if you're approaching it, you're gonna have the best chance through that process if your thyroid is good. 
So just when you get to your 40, like you just get this stuff tested, make sure that's optimized because then you might get put on hormones that you don't need right now and they won't really work because you never got to the root, which was the thyroid. So to give your hormones and your hormone feedback loop, like the best chance you want to have the thyroid working great. And that should be the first order of business, you know, before going into the other stage of hormone replacement, unless of course it's totally needed because the person's already there. But you know what I'm saying? I just see so many people being put on hormones or the doctor be like, oh, you have a hormonal imbalance. And you're like, right, check the thyroid, correct that first. That first of all might fix itself. And if not, then at least you're playing from the right baseline. Yeah. Well, and it, the unfortunate thing, and I, I say this with, again, with great love and reverence, I have a couple of friends who are endocrinologists and we have these around about discussions about thyroid management. And I always, you know, with respect, I just say, you know, do you check beyond just a TSH and maybe a free T4? And, you know, resoundingly, the thought process is no. And, um, you know, I, I just think about uh, how many people really suffer needlessly. And I, and mm-hmm. I think in particular, women in middle age lose their voices. You know, we're very focused as a culture on contraception and educating people about pregnancy awareness and pregnancy and breastfeeding and the postpartum period, which are all wonderful things. And we need to focus on those things. Otherwise, uh, we would not, you know, propagate another generation, but, if women, you know, spend 40% of their lifetime in menopause, dang it, we got to focus on, you know, what comes after, you know, the fertile, the fertile, as our fertility is waning. And as we're heading into no longer being fertile, we got to focus on this stuff. We need to do a better job managing middle-aged women because we're not doing a great job. Um, And I say that again, with love and reverence, but just there's, you know, hormones don't need to be this mystical, um, Mm -hmm thought process. I think in many ways you, you start from the basics and, you know, it's, it's sleep and stress management and good quality nutrition and exercise. And then, you know, really looking thoughtfully at labs and, and addressing areas that need to be supported. And, and I just think, you know, your story, Elle, and, and my story and like every woman's story is, is becoming so increasingly common Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe we circumvent it a little faster, but I just think in so many ways, um, you know, my present circumstances in it, as I'm sure there are many people listening who their medication got, uh, you know, recalled last fall and mm-hmm. they've been in a free fall since then. I know I certainly have been. And I was, as I was telling you before we started recording, one of the things that was horrifying for me to see, I'm like, I'm a pretty tiny person. And I'm like watching myself becoming physiologically insulin resistant before my eyes, because I got over medicated with compounded. And then I was under medicated and felt terrible and like trying to present all this information. And, you know, it's just, you know, even with all the biohacking stuff that I love to do so I can tinker and monitor everything I was just slowly watching this happen. And I thought to myself, how many women don't have the voice to be able to advocate for themselves? You know, maybe they don't have all these little gizmos and gadgets that I love to use that I can track information on. And, you know, how do we build awareness and empower people so that they feel comfortable and confident going to their healthcare provider and saying, I think I probably have a a thyroid issue. And if you're middle-aged, you probably do have an underactive thyroid. That's more often the case than not. Yeah, it's it's so 
horrifically prevalent and 60% of people are undiagnosed. So there's so many people out there suffering and the numbers are way bigger than we ever thought, you know, or could even imagine. Um, Yeah. That's just, um, well, thank God you're out there doing what you're doing. Let's talk a little bit about intermittent fasting. You mentioned earlier, like, okay, I went to this one place where I was too low carb there and da, da, da. And, you know, this is, this is like a personal thing too. We have to tinker and find out what our, you know, carb threshold is, et cetera. And based on activity, the problem, and, you know, we always talk about this at Primal Blueprint or Mark Sisson's been talking about it for years, is that the goal is metabolic flexibility. Yeah. And there might be some people that really do have to stay keto. You got epilepsy and you want to manage those seizures. Yeah, you might be one of those people for 20 years. It has to be keto. There's people who have to be carnivore. I get it. But for the most part, um, short of some of those things, you know, we're talking about a general low-carb paleo paradigm, right? Most of the time, that's a metabolically flexible. Maybe you're lower carb one day, a little by higher the next. And, you you know, you kind of go in and out. And that's sort of how how we look at it here at the Primal Blueprint and what we preach. What where are you? Are, are, do you still intermittent fast every day? I do. And, and so the one thing I've come to find out is, is it's important to have variety. So I don't follow the same exact fasting schedule every day. Mm-hmm. And I definitely so give us an example of how you would switch that up. Like one day, it might be this one day. It might be that. Give yeah. us like, yeah. I mean, some days it can be the traditional 16, eight, you know, 16 hours fast with an eight hour feeding window. Um, I have one feast day once a week where I have a 12 hour feeding window. And that's to remind my body that I'm not starving it, that, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to kick myself out of ketosis. You know, we talk about metabolic flexibility. Some days I go 20 hours fasted. Some days I go 14 hours fasted. I gauge a lot based on how I feel, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm very attuned to my body. I know not everyone is, you know, I gauge it based on my workouts, like a higher carbohydrate day. And I do cycle my carbs is a day I lift heavy. Like yesterday was a leg day. I had a, I had a big feeding window. I had more carbs than I normally do. And then today I went slid back into a 16 hour fast and just broke my fast with bacon and eggs, um, before I got on this call. So for me, I, I don't track my macros per se, but I've been doing this long enough that I really know I can tell when my body needs more carbs. I can tell when I can push it a little more and do more protein, my focus at this point in my life, um, I want to prevent muscle loss. And so sarcopenia is something that can happen to all of us. It really starts to accelerate after the age of 40 and that's muscle mass loss with aging. And so my protein intake is probably what I focus on the most, you know, hitting my protein values and, um, making sure that I'm, uh, you know, strength training and making sure I get plenty of sleep, but I don't, I don't stress about, the quantity of carbohydrates. I know based on, you know, continuous glucose monitoring data, which is a really cool way to figure out like what works for you and your body that I do fine with squash and sweet potato and even tropical fruit, which I thought for sure would skyrocket my blood sugar. My body does not like plantains. My body Mm -hmm. does not love beans. And when I eat those kinds of foods, my blood sugar will spike really high. And so that's a great example of understanding that for my body, those are not great choices and using that's, that's great to highlight is the CGM, a continuous glucose yeah. monitor. I did an experiment for 14 days with the NutriSense one, yeah. really enlightening. Um, I agree with you there. Like for example, I could eat like a ton of watermelon and it would barely do anything, but I'd eat like a little bit of black beans, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you, yeah. and, and this is true. Like there will be people that will eat a banana and it spikes horribly, but people eat a, sort of the same carb, maybe amount of strawberries and it doesn't. 
So, you know, if you're out there and you're really confused and you want to do some testing, a 14 day glucose monitor can really be enlightening with the right, uh, with the right advocates there explaining it to you along the way, because oftentimes people see a spike and they get totally freaked out and never want to like eat the food again. And you're like, yeah, but you have to look at it. Like I remember I worked out fasted, then I ate a certain thing. It totally spiked. Well, of course it was going to spike higher because I was just fasted, blah, blah, blah. So a lot of people get scared and go, oh no. And so you really do need people to kind of guide you on what the values mean once you've done it for 14 days and how that worked. But I thought that was extremely valuable. And so if anyone's out there and they're curious as to how certain carbs affect you, that's the way to do it. Absolutely. And I think that's a really, a really valuable indicator. If a, you know, continuous glucose monitor is not in your budget, even using a glucometer, you know, checking your blood sugar, you know, when you're fasted to see, you know, where your glucose is and then tracking it, you know, I'm just newly getting into data-driven fasting um, with Marty Kendall. He's based out of Brisbane, brilliant guy, engineer, and not surprisingly, as an engineer, there's a lot of data, but he brings up some really great points about when people should break their fast, when they should eat, how, you know, what you need to be cognizant of in terms of your net impact of blood sugar. So if your blood sugar goes from 90 to 160, yeah, that's a little higher than you want it to be. But if your blood sugar goes from 90 to 100 and, you know, like 20 and then comes back down, that's not all that bad. Like you want under 30 points, um, bump, uh, when you, when you're breaking your fast and having a meal. But I I think for so many of us, we, I think the CGM is really valuable because you don't recognize, I would have assumed that when my blood sugar went really high, when I had the plantains that I would have gotten sweaty or I would have felt different. I didn't. And so that's where, you know, they talk about diabetes being this silent killer and it really makes you realize like if i'm a metabolically flexible healthy person and my blood sugar went to 160 and i didn't know what do you think happens to the diabetics they probably have less awareness and so mm-hmm. i think it's a really super valuable tool even if you just get a glucometer and stick your finger to be aware of how your body reacts to certain types of carbohydrates i i, I just think that's really become a huge focus of my one-on-one work. Almost all of my ladies at some point have had a CGM because I just think it's that valuable. Even just to say, okay, you're having trouble losing weight. Let's make sure it's not because you're insulin resistant because more often than not, people realize when they start looking at that data, they're like, holy cow, I had no idea that that's how my body reacted when I didn't sleep well, when I'm super stressed, when I have too many berries, when I have too much alcohol, (laughs) whatever it is. I think it can really be invaluable. Yeah. And to me, it was uh, life affirming because the yeah. results were great, like with all the different things. And believe me, I ate, I actually ate some bullshit too, just because I was like, I want to see how like a cheat of something stupid would do, you know, or whatever. I just kind of did a, did a bunch of different experiments with it. And to me, it was even more affirming uh, about that. And I just, we would do a disservice to everyone. We just probably say this, which is if you think you're insulin resistance or headed towards prediabetes or whatever, get yourself the HbA1c blood test, hemoglobin A1c. And now when you look online, there will be like false charts as to what's okay and what's not, (laughs) but 5.2 or below is really what you're shooting for. If you're at like 5.7 where I was, you're pre-diabetic. You are really headed there. And believe me, I could feel it. And sometimes you don't even know. 
you know, you work out all the time, you think you eat well, blah, 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 and it's caught up to you somewhere. So that's a great indicator and also a great affirmer in case you think for some reason you are and you find out you're really not. And now you can eliminate that and and move forward. So a lot of people just don't even know about that test. I just wanted to throw that out there. Of course, there's other factors and blood work, but that's sort of like a great marker. I agree. You know, the other test that I really encourage people to get is a fasting insulin because more often than not, that will dysregulate before your glucose, before your hemoglobin A1C. And so for many, many people, you know, they're like, my hemoglobin A1C is fine. My fasting glucose is perfect. You know, what's going on? And I'm like, have they done a fasting insulin? And, uh, you know, we want our insulin levels to be reasonable. And, And it's interesting because I see some that recommend between values between five and eight. Um, I've seen them as low as three to eight. Obviously, you, lower is better. There are times when it's too low, and that can be from other other reasons. Oftentimes, loss of estradiol, and that can impact bone health. But you know, I, I have a woman right now who is one of my group programs, and I encouraged her to get her insulin drawn, and it was twenty, mm. twenty, and she was wondering why she was stuck. And I said, "Well, if your insulin's up, guess what? You're not doing." You're not losing fat, right? That just isn't going to happen. So, and so um, in that case, what she had to just sort of adjust that diet and go into an intermittent fasting, low carb situation. Um, she had been doing that, but we had to actually dig a little deeper. It turned out she had some mold exposure, which Mm -hmm. was, you know, stressing her body. She had not slept well for years, even Mm -hmm. though, you know, one of her GYNs essentially said, this is just the way things are now at this time in your life. And I, I mean, can't, it be, I can't accept that answer ever. And I yeah. hate it when any doctor just goes, well, you know, you're getting older. It's, it's yeah. just stop. Yeah. yeah. No, I actually, I heard that when I, when my weight got stuck and not being a big person, uh, someone said, well, you know, you've always been super thin and fit and maybe this is the way things are at 44. And I, I looked at them and said, no, I will not accept that ever. Like yeah. ever, ever, ever. Um, so this, this woman in particular had a mold, uh, problem Mm. in her house. And so they did remediation and her body was stressed. I mean, that was one of the things that was driving up all this inflammation and and now she's losing weight and now she's feeling better. Uh, but I always liken it to peeling an onion that it's really important to peel the onion, you know, peel the onion back and, and find the next layer, because there's always a reason for, um, you know, why our, our bodies are giving us messages and and giving us, you know, information. It's just putting it all together to figure out like what's driving the problem. And so I I just don't buy into the the mindset or philosophy that, you know, you have to gain weight with age, that you have to have crappy sleep, that you can't, you know, you have so many aches and pains, you can't function, um, that, you know, you have constipation or what insert whatever symptom it is people are experiencing. I'm like, there's always a reason. It's just finding out what that is, like what's driving that problem primarily. Yeah. I heard someone who was my age and they were, they're unhealthy and I don't know, we're all somewhere and they, they, they were talking about themselves falling apart or something. And they're like, well, you know what? Like, you know, I guess this is what, you know, forties meet. And I was like, don't even put yourself <laughs> in the same category as yeah. me, mofo. I'm over here. We're the same age. Bullshit. Yeah. People, again, that's just like, it's, it's a terrible excuse. Don't, don't use it. If you're not feeling right, there's an answer. Um, Let's talk about how we can peel that onion back with you. Do you offer one-on-one, just group, automated coaching? How can we benefit from getting help from you? If someone's listening and is like, I, I want to talk to her. Well, I am no longer taking one-on-ones because I'm in the midst of writing a book and creating an intermittent fasting program. But I do have a member of my team who's also an advanced practice nurse, has the same nutrition training that I have. 
And so she is taking one-on-ones. Her name is Tessa and she's absolutely wonderful. Um, I do have group programs. I have an intermittent fasting masterclass, which I run three or four times a year, uh, as well as some other programs. But a lot of what I'm doing, I'm kind of, you know, between the podcast and the book writing, it's, I'm, I'm kind of flipping what I'm doing. I, I feel like I'm in a position where I can impact more people uh, by not doing one-on-ones anymore, which I've certainly loved doing for a long time. Uh, but I couldn't do both. I was feeling really torn and um, kind of backed off from that. But the group programs are still in effect. And Tessa, who's trained with me, works with me, is on my team, is taking one-on-one. So it's a great way to, um, you know, kind of work in our philosophies and our methodologies as it pertains to healthy aging. Great. Now we will put, of course, all of the links to connect with you in the show notes, but why don't you just go ahead and let us know your website right now? Yep. So it's www.cynthiatherlow.com. Um, you can connect with the with the podcast there. It's called Everyday Wellness. And the opportunity to interview lots of health and wellness greats, including Elle, one of our most popular um, thyroid episodes we've ever had. And oh, nice. for, someone, for someone's episode to get dropped on the 26th of December and to you know end up being like one of the most downloaded says a lot, a lot of value. Oh, that's there. so great. I didn't know that. That's awesome. So yes. I didn't hear that. Yes. And so I'm all over social media. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on YouTube. Um, and there's a, a private slash free Facebook group called intermittent fasting lifestyle backslash my name, which you're more than welcome to uh, connect there as well. It's a really great group of men and women that are in there, um, but really great way to connect and, and get good quality information. Thank you so much for all the work you're doing out there. And when your book comes out, uh, I hope to be the first person you call so we can get you Absolutely. get you interviewed again and talk about it. Absolutely. It's all about intermittent fasting and women. It's uh, again, Perfect. it's probably one surprising one to hear me say that there are lots of intermittent fasting books out there, but no one's written a book specifically for women. And so that's, this is like my life's work, really dedicating yes. to inspiring and empowering women to live their best Well, lives. half these health books aren't really written for us. All the studies no. are done on men. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, yep. it's like, you know, we're trying to weed through here and get out this information, which is great because we do have different needs. You know, one, uh, one author who, who, who's done that in a big way, Elisa Vitti, who, yeah. you know, she has her own philosophy about like how to eat at certain phases of the menstrual cycle and things like that. But it's just so nice when people are like attentive to us and yes. specifically for us because yes. uh, it does, it's not all the same. And if you've, you're following all these dudes, they're not going to be picking up on those nuances that we have. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and if for anyone that's listening, uh, our menstrual cycle is a barometer for our health. And so, mm-hmm. um, I've Elisa's absolutely lovely. I've connected with her, and and um, you know, there's different phases of our menstrual cycle where we eat a certain way and exercise a certain way, and um, you know, there's you, you don't want to fast during a certain time during your cycle because it's just too much stress and strain on the body. But mm-hmm. here's the one thing that is kind of cool is that while women are still cycling, we have to fast a particular way. And then once women transition into menopause, I don't want to say we're more like men, but we have less hormonal fluctuations like men do. Right. So from my perspective, I always say that we need more research that's without question. There's not enough research done on women that are cycling, not enough research done on women period. But when it comes to menopause, women that are in menopause and men Fasting can oftentimes be like super easy in terms of um, mm-hmm. you know, methodologies and applications. So it's really cool. But yes, I agree with you that uh, there's not enough talk about what makes this unique. We're not many men, that is for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. Can't wait for your book. Look forward to discussing that in the future. Uh, In the meantime, we'll put all of the uh, links to connect with you in the show notes. And thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Primal Blueprint listeners don't compromise on pantry classics. Whether you're going keto, paleo, in the middle of a whole 30-month, or adding to your Primal-approved arsenal, Primal Kitchen has a full range of mayo, ketchup, dressings, and oils that add flavor and variety to any meal without ever compromising on ingredient quality. From avocado oil-based mayos bursting with flavors like kicky chipotle lime, creamy classic, zesty garlic aioli, or savory pesto, to unsweetened ketchups and organic mustards, there's a condiment to complement every taste bud. Be sure to stock up on Primal Kitchen avocado oil, extra virgin olive oil, and new balsamic vinegar of Modena to add ease and great flavor to any dish, whether you're grilling, baking, broiling, braising, sauteing, or stir-frying. Primal Blueprint listeners can get their favorites 20% off when they use the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT at checkout.